to episode 38 of the Do Care podcast. It's a podcast about queer intersectional ecofeminism and artistry and anything related to any of those adjectives. Essentially, it's things that I do care about. I am one of two hosts. My name is Georgie Corkery. My pronouns are she, they, and the other host who is not with us today is Mary McGee she they pronouns as well and when i say they are not with us today they're not dead they're just not currently present and today's topic for the episode is great salt lake birds i've talked about great salt lake on this podcast before with jamie butler who used to work at the great salt lake institute but today to talk about great salt lake birds specifically is amy van tatenhove hi amy hello thanks for having me amy is a fellow graduate student at utah state university with me and I believe you're in the wild department. Yep, wild and resources and technically the ecology center. Mm, it's like yes. a dual program yeah, thing. <laughs> it's a little confusing. I'm technically getting my degree in ecology, which I assume you are, yep, yep. but we're doing it through our different departments. Complicated, but it's kind of cool because it's, you know, yeah. I don't know, brings a lot of people together. Yeah, it gives you an option to do ecology from whatever department you're in. And I'm in environment and society, which is more social. <laughs> so it's cool to bring in the ecology side. But anyways, I know Amy because we see each other often because we're in the same cohort. We actually have offices on the same floor in the same building. So that's really nice. And the reason why I was like, Amy, I'd love for you <laughs> to come onto my podcast, the Do Care podcast, is because I know that you have done work with pelicans. Mm -hmm. And it was either you presenting or somebody else presenting at, I think it was the Great Salt Lake Sun this oh, summer yeah, yeah. I, I wasn't presenting but i'm sure it may, actually maybe it was jamie butler because she's all in on maybe. pelicans yeah yeah, yeah. someone potentially jamie butler was <laughs> presenting and was like the amount of pelicans this year is so sad and yep. i was so sad so we'll we'll jump into that but before we do we gotta <laughs> do <laughs> our icebreakers the first one is just asking what do you care about so amy why don't you go first what do you care about man i care about so many things but <laughs> what is one of the things that you care about one pelican thing. related or not well i guess maybe not directly pelican related but it's great to lake related mm -hmm. and i do care about brine shrimp Mm. And Jamie Butler may have said the same thing, but there's you know these these fascinating little little crustaceans that live in Great Salt Lake and a lot of other saline lakes across the world, and they feed an infinite number of birds. A lot of birds rely on them for migratory stopovers, getting food, fattening up for the rest of their journeys, and they feed a huge number of shrimp farms for uh, yeah. world aquaculture, which is not something I knew until I came to Utah. Yeah, yeah. I actually, to be really tangential, I read something done by the Great Salt Lake Collaborative, this yeah. awesome media mogul. I don't know if they're a media mogul, but they put <laughs> out media on Great Salt Lake, and they are releasing this for part series that I hope to get involved in about why save Great Salt Lake and uh, what would happen if we save Great Salt Lake and the brine trip industry it feeds so many aquaculture species that we eat yeah, and it's crazy. they said if you're eating sushi somewhere in Utah or not the chances are that that sushi ate brine shrimp from Great Salt Lake was in yeah. that food chain is like 50 percent yeah nuts so yeah brine <laughs> shrimp that's a great answer <laughs> let's see what I care about maybe I'll go in a unrelated direction is just sex positivity people who know how to talk about consent know how to not judge other people know what is not and what is their business uh, how to effectively communicate and I guess the reason why I'm thinking about this is because I've been listening to a lot of the Dan Savage love cast oh. Dave Savage love cast I've heard I'm, I'm terrible with listening to things and watching things but I think I've heard of that. So yeah, someday. it's pretty good. Something Savage Lovecast. That's actually not my conscious content consumption, but it should be another time. But check it out. It will teach you, I think, how to be just a better person in general. But that's what I care about is sex positivity. Second icebreaker is what cats have you interacted with? So recently? many. So many. <laughs> so I have two cats at home. An old one named Cleo. She's 16 now. Mm. And a little young one named Ren. And she's about three. So I interact with them all the time. But I was actually visiting some friends in Wisconsin over the weekend oh, and one of them has two sister cats and mm -hmm. they're a year old and they're ridiculous so <laughs> one of them hates being picked up so she always picks up this cat and kisses it all over and it's just like wow 
<laughs> and and then the cat runs around and it's clearly not that upset but it's really cute just to watch their dynamic yeah so they're that's cute i love cats i would love <laughs> pictures of your cats if you oh, yeah would not mind me sharing them of course i'd love to yeah <laughs> the reason why i started asking about what cats have you interacted with and sharing the ones i have is because thinking about cute things gets all the good hormones yeah. going point thinking about cute things just makes us happier so if we're talking about cute cats hopefully listeners are a little bit more happy now because of the serotonin nice. <laughs> serotonin dump it's a good that's honestly a really good idea yeah you can yeah. tell like you're smiling when you're talking yeah it's <laughs> wild <laughs> the cats that I've interacted with are Sushka, Misha's cat. I believe you know Amisha. Amisha is a, a human. Sushka is human, specifically. And then I went to my department head's house, Claudia Radel, Radel, and she has a cat. And I don't know the cat's name, but boy, was it cute. And we had a little holiday party, and it was just like, I'm hanging out. I Aww. love the social cats. Also, I love the introverts, but I love the social cats, because I'm a social cat. <laughs> and then at Iconoclad, which is a consignment store. Ooh in Salt Lake City. Excellent. A, a lot of my clothes are from there. The shirt that you can't see that I'm yeah, wearing. Well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's from Iconoclad. Nice. And they have cats in their store and oh, they have oh, one no named Garfinkel. Garfunkel. Oh. But they have a few and they have two stores and they have like cool. cats at both and it's great and I wonder how they do that with people who are allergic to cats but oh, yeah. oh. I love the store and I love the cats. Hey, so. they made it work I guess. Yeah. <laughs> what notable wildlife have you seen recently? So I was, I was trying to think about that, and I went on a failed hike. It's a long story. It was, it was too snowy uh, <laughs> a couple weekends ago, and there's I, I've seen this flock of ravens a few times, and it's about eight mm. ravens, and you can just tell. They'll kind of come check you out as they fly by, and you can tell they're basically talking to each other. They're, you can tell they're communicating, <laughs> and it's so cool to watch and so cool to listen to. So I'm like, well, my hike sucked, but at least I got to see these really cool ravens yeah. doing their thing. So, yeah. <laughs> I wonder what they were saying about you. What a loser. I don't know. <laughs> loser. You don't even know how to have a successful hike. Clearly not. <laughs> Sorry, you're not a loser. I was just channeling the raven. <laughs> that makes me think of we're both in Logan and I play frisbee in Logan at a place called Merlin Olsen Park. And sometimes there's all of these turkey vultures. Ooh. There's so many of them in the sky and they just oh, yeah. fly around huh. and it's really cool. A little distracting, yeah. but that's not something I've seen recently, but definitely notable wildlife recently i've seen deer everywhere it's winter now mm. they're coming down saw them in the neighborhood saw them in a cemetery classic deer i did see a downy woodpecker that looked very red red feathers in the underwing i don't know bird anatomy and then chickadees which i noticed because they were my spark bird Ooh, yes spark they... bird is the first bird that uh, pulls you in for folks who don't know they're, they're very cute. They're oh. good little spark birds. I think they are pro probably for a lot of people. Yeah. They're so charismatic. They have such a distinct call. Let's see if I can do it. Yeah. Yeah, that was uh, me whistling. <laughs> so hopefully I alerted all the birds around you. And they're called chickadees because it's like chickadee dee 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 dee. And the more dees that they do is the more danger they perceive they're in. So when they're around you and they're just like chickadee dee, you're not very dangerous. It's <laughs> oh. oh. a... Either a uh, compliment or a diss, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure yet. I'm going to take it as a compliment. Positivity. For conscious content consumption, I should say that I like to share this because we have media coming at us in every direction. Whether it's on social media, whether we're logging on to watch TV on any of the streaming platforms, or even billboards or flyers that we, we see on campus. You might not be on campus listener, but I'm sure you're surrounded by media nonetheless. And deciding what content we're consuming really does shape how we perceive the world. And when I was younger, I watched whatever was on TV and whatever my older, cooler sister liked. So I would watch it. But sometimes that ended up being Adam Sandler movies, which gave me really fucked up perceptions of how women should be treated yeah. and how adult men should act and yeah. what consent is. And I didn't know why I felt weird and not validated. And then I grew up and I was like, oh, that makes sense now. Yeah. yeah. So, so I think it's really important, and I don't know if I've ever explained it to that extent before, why I think that's important and why I like to share conscious content consumption, but I'm learning, but I'm also having a lot of my feelings validated through this media that I'm now consuming, a lot of which is podcasts through podcast form, and that is what I have for you today. I'm sharing another podcast called Maintenance Phase. Yes! I love Maintenance Phase. <laughs> oh my gosh. I just took an arm pump. Yeah. <laughs> maintenance Phase is excellent. So it's hosted by 
Michael Hobb and Audrey Gordon, and they debunk the junk science behind health and wellness fads. One of their taglines is wellness and weight loss, debunked and decoded. And they have a shirt that has bunk beds, and they call it the debunk beds, and <laughs> I just think it's really funny. They talk about all sorts of things. The main topic that comes up a lot is this fat phobia or this anti-fat mindset that we have in the United States and yeah. probably more broadly, but I am yeah. more familiar with the United States. Audrey Gordon specifically is somebody who I like, and she is a writer, podcaster, obviously, and activist who debunks anti-fat myths and promotes fat justice. She is the co-host of Maintenance Phase and creator of Your Fat Friend, a wellness and weight loss guide for plus-sized people. She also published two books. I haven't read either of them. Me either. But Someday. they're on my list, and I'm going to buy them. I asked for one of them for Christmas. The first one is What We Don't Talk About When We Talk About Fat, and then the second one that came out in, it was either 2023 this year or 2022, was You Just Need to Lose Weight and 19 Other Myths About Fat People. And the show really highlights how people who are fat are discriminated against, whether it's in the healthcare sector or women who are fat get paid significantly less than women who aren't fat mm. for doing the same job. Yeah. And how a lot of times people will just say really unnecessary things to fat people. Yeah, Audrey right. Gordon had the example of somebody taking a watermelon out of her shopping cart that she didn't know, a total stranger at the market, took a watermelon out of her shopping cart and said, there's too much sugar in that and you don't need that. How rude is that? Yeah, like, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> oh, goodness gracious. I, I started listening to this podcast a while ago and it's one of the few podcasts I've finished every episode of. Mm -hmm. And been, I guess, kind of like a lifelong skinny or a skinny adjacent person. And so I never realized the things that fat people go through. And yeah. just listening to the podcast, I'm like, oh my God, completely changed my viewpoint mm -hmm. on weight and food in general. All the weight loss weird stuff that we've done yeah. as a society. And bonkers. it's really fucked up. I had an eating disorder for a chunk of my life because oh, I was told nothing tastes as good as thin field. Oh, yeah. How toxic is it's that? It's so bad. And they actually address that in one of the episodes. The episodes are usually goop or <laughs> they'll take somebody's diet their fad diet or they'll talk about a book or they'll talk about a movement or the the low fat diet Oof. generally they did moon dust which was really funny <laughs> was a good one. they did like moon dust taste it, yeah it's like a brand it was, yeah it was hilarious and and they're both really funny and they're articulate and you know michael hobbs he is a journalist he also does the you're wrong about podcast and a new one called if books could kill both very good i'll talk i've talked about you're wrong about before and i'll talk about the other one in the future i'm sure but they're both funny. They do their research. In one of the episodes, they talked about this person who was some fad diet, and she came out with a book, and it really took with Mormons in Utah, and I grew up in Utah, and my neighbor is LDS, and she had that. If... <laughs> You know, nothing tastes as good as thin feels. And that's like directly from that book. And I was like, oh my God, this ah, has shaped you. me. Oh. Yeah, I'm influenced by this nonsense. And that really messed me up. But this podcast has really validated a lot of my feelings. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah it's totally great. I second the... I second that. Yeah. They're so good. <laughs> Anyways, do, do you have a conscious content consumption that you want to share? It is not a podcast. So this is a guy I actually spoke to... A while back for, I do some reporting for our local radio station. And so I interviewed him as a part of that. And he, he has an Instagram page. So you can find him at yo underscore Ali Rez. And he's a food waste activist. So he like oh, know, cool. tries to limit food waste. And he's also animal rights activist, environmental activist. He's also a rapper or a musician. <laughs> I don't know if he just does rap. But he wrote a rap about saving Great Salt Lake. Oh, really? Yeah. he's And it's it's pretty short. It's like maybe two, two and a half minutes long. But okay. it's he's really funny. Super sweet guy and he's also a public interest attorney so he's Whoa. a smart guy too but yeah you can you can find him on instagram at yo underscore ali res and ali is a l l y a l i let's see let me just had it pulled up <laughs> y o underscore a l i r e z Oh, okay. I had it wrong on several counts, but um, that will be linked in the show notes. That's really cool. And I will find that song about Great Salt Lake. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, thanks for sharing that. I've never heard of yeah. that person before. <laughs> <laughs> so let's jump into the topic. And I want to start with having you just share what your current research is and you're a phd mm -hmm. yes okay but phd student Not phd student sometime yes, <laughs> yeah i know what you mean <laughs> good distinction you're a phd student so share with us what your phd research is sure 
So yeah, I'm, I'm a fifth year PhD candidate and we're talking about the Wildland Resources Department and Ecology Center at USU. And my research focuses mainly around American white pelicans with a focus specifically on the birds west of the Rocky Mountains and specifically those at Great Salt Lake. So in Utah, so a lot of people don't realize this, but Utah has a lot of pelicans <laughs> and people usually associate pelicans with the, the ocean. Yeah. yeah. But we have American white pelicans here in Utah and one of the largest, at least historically largest breeding colonies in the western United States was in the middle of Great Salt Lake on this little island called Gunnison Island. And so this population has been, de- the breeding population has been declining since, you know, the 1990s. And, you know, we're trying to figure out, like, why the population is declining. So figuring out those population drivers, that's part of my research. And basically what that has boiled down to is, you know, we're, Great Salt Lake is shrinking due to drought and agricultural diversions. And as a result, there's been a land bridge that has formed, and we've got coyotes out on the island now. And and we just think those are impacting the birds enough that they have decided to actually this year basically abandon the colony completely. Yeah. Uh, So I think you referenced that a little bit earlier. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's been quite the shift. So, yeah, we've essentially lost our largest breeding colony over the past year in Utah but so that's that's one aspect of my research. I'm also focusing on trying to see if we can take weather radar images and find pick out pelicans in these weather radar mm. images. And basically what we're doing is we have this GPS data set of pelicans and we can see where they are in real time or not real time but like space. Yeah. Um you can you know look at them on a map and then you can overlay a radar image and say okay right here this is where the pelican is and does something show up on the radar image and okay so when yeah. you say radar just to yep. clarify for me and sure. the listeners sure. that's like the weather radar yep and they used that to see oh where is it gonna where is precipitation gonna be yeah and then at some point i don't know probably past 10 years maybe past five years they were like oh we can see birds migrating at night yeah using this yeah and which is really cool. And I forget what the website is. Maybe you know. Hmm. There's a website you can log on during migration season oh, and just see yeah. what birds are above you. It's yeah. really cool. I don't know what it is. I'll link it in the show notes. You might be talking about BirdCast. BirdCast. So, that's what it is. That's out of the Cornell Lab of Ornithology and uh, Colorado State University. And there's some crazy cool researchers doing that. Yeah. Oh, and they have wild. some stations where they record the sounds, too. Yeah. And we had a presenter come and have the recording, the audio recording, and visually you could oh. see the waves. And then you could hear the birds, huh. and he's like, oh, that's a that. That's, you know, that's he's just amazing. naming all the birds, and he's that's like, incredible. yeah, a wren, whatever wren, their call looks like this on the audio, and we've just been able to pick these out. And, yeah. of course, you can't see them, but they're there. You just know by that sound. Isn't that crazy? People have that ability. Yeah. I'm like, I don't, I certainly don't. <laughs> it's wild. Yeah. But so this radar, mm-hmm. it can see the birds, but it can't distinguish which birds are which. Yeah. And that's what you're trying to do. That's what we're trying to do. And actually, one of the guys who is doing the the bird cast thing, he's on my PhD committee. So hopefully what I'm doing will make him happy. (laughs) (laughs) They can somehow, I don't know, incorporate that into bird cast. But yeah, we've we've kind of been able to do it. It's still kind of a work in progress. But we can see pelicans on the radar, which just blew my mind. I never thought we'd be at this point. That's really cool. So, And you can see them on the radar because either there's a new technology or because you've never tried it before, and now that you see, it's very doable. Ba- basically, what it kind of comes down to, uh, like, we, we've had actually pretty good radar technology since, well, radar has a really long history, but in 20, it was finished around 2013, they upgraded all these weather radar stations across the U.S. and made them a lot more powerful, essentially, or able to tell us a lot of things that they couldn't previously and but we also because birds are so small generally it's really hard to put gps trackers on them at this point but pelicans are giant they're one of the largest birds in north america so we're able to slap these huge transmitters (laughs) on them get really high resolution gps data and because of that we can actually you know do that thing where yeah the overlay yeah and so you can actually see where the pelicans are for sure and then take the radar values you know from from that radar image and say, okay, this is what a pelican looks like on the radar. And it just gives you a bunch of numbers. That's so cool. And so. then maybe one day AI will just be able to exactly. know where they are because exactly. that's the direction we're headed. Yep. <laughs> How big are these GPS 
trackers? <laughs> they are, so they weigh between 60 and 70 grams. So for reference, a medium-sized songbird is maybe 15 grams. Whoa. So you, it's like you pack together a bunch of songbirds and it equals the same amount of one of these <laughs> GPS units. So you can't really put those on songbirds at this point. Yeah. Uh, is it like a cell phone or smaller it, than a cell phone? It's small. The footprint's smaller. I'm trying to... Yeah, trying to <laughs> visualize it. it to me. But it's, they're taller, and they're at least the ones we use are solar powered. Um, mm. So these little solar pa- panels on top, and this little antenna sticking off the back, and they just kind of sit between the pelican shoulder blades. Wow. Um, so yeah, and then they kind of we're t- actually tracking a bunch of them right now, and a bunch of them are down in Mexico just living the life. <laughs> um, but yeah, if you get yeah, I know, right? <laughs> Especially with the snow, no. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, they're really cool because you can track them throughout the year and just figure out what what they're doing, where they're going, and yeah, yeah, what cocktails they're buying at what bar I know, in Mexico. Exactly. All right, on the coast <laughs> sounds great. Yeah, I'm uh, sad I'm not going to Mexico this year. I did the past two years, Ooh. but I will just have to live vicariously through the pelicans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's all we can do. Well, that's that's really cool. I wanted to ask some questions about the first part of your study where you're looking at the pelicans on the west side of the Rockies, specifically Mm -hmm. at Great Salt Lake, and the population is declining. You said the colony at Great Salt Lake Mm -hmm. on Gunnison Island is essentially abandoned. Yep. And what I know about it is that Gunnison Island is no longer an island. Right. That's where the land bridge came in. And I think it was Sage Land Collaborative. They have wildlife cams out there yeah i think i'm not sure who's in charge of them right now but I, at one point it was great Salt Lake institute oh, yeah great Salt Lake institute i always get them in great Salt Lake ecosystem program yeah, there's up. so many great salt lake <laughs> insert organization group name and i think they're actually both doing things with them so it's anyway yeah but yeah there, there are trail cams out there and they did see actually some coyotes on the trail cams yeah. at one point yeah, so. and I, I remember that from a slideshow. You see the coyotes yeah. there, which is pretty devastating. Yeah. Okay, so if that colony, which I heard was a few dozen this last year, mm-hmm. so breeding season of 2023, just a few dozen. Mm-hmm. And how many were there kind of at the peak? Do you know? Yeah, I don't know. At least off the top of my head, I don't know the number of chicks specifically, but at its peak, there were around 20,000 breeding individuals Wow. back in the 80s, so or yeah. maybe early 90s. I know Ella Sorensen, who maybe mm-hmm. you know, she's great. She worked with the Gilmore Sanctuary for a while. She's now retired. But she has this really great poem. She's an incredible writer. And she was like, yeah, I went out to the Great Salt Lake. And I was looking out. And it was one of my first times. And I thought there was snow, which didn't make sense. And then a lot of snow. But it wasn't snow. It was pelicans. Just that many pelicans. And it was so white because there were just so many clumped there. And to think of all of that being reduced to a couple dozen, several dozen it's it's really quite depressing on many levels. I will say for a little bit of hope, we know that pelicans are very dynamic in where they nest, and they're long-lived birds too. So this year is not necessarily indicative of a continued trend of them being completely gone from Gunnison. But assuming it is this land bridge and the coyotes that drove them off, nothing essentially has changed yeah. At least that we know of. So next year it may be the same case. And if that continues through time, we could see either impacts to the breeding population, recruitment issues where they're not producing chicks, and then they just don't have any young birds to yeah. fill the void where the older birds have you know, since passed away. And that can be a real concern. Yeah. Do you know where they were instead of... If they're not at Gunnison Island, were they somewhere else? Or were they <laughs> just dead? That is a very good question. And... I can answer it to the best of my ability, and I I say that because there's not a lot of good monitoring throughout the western Mm. U.S. and Canada, so we don't really know what a lot of their breeding population is doing outside of Utah and, I guess, Idaho and some... Nevada, they do it sometimes, mm-hmm. uh, some monitoring. But uh, like I was just saying, that they're, they're long-lived birds, so they can take a year off from breeding and come back the next year and breed again. So it's not a huge deal for them. We did see bird pelicans around Great Salt Lake this year. They just weren't on Gunnison. So yeah. we think we just, you know, may have a lot of non-breeders this year. And I also said that they are pretty dynamic in where they nest. 
So there is a, technically another colony in Utah, and it's at Neponset Reservoir, which is... Oh, I've never heard of that. I've never been there. It's, <laughs> I have a vague idea where, where it is. It's uh, near Wyoming, so it's a small island, and we know that there were some something like 800... Oh. I don't know if it's nests or nesting individuals, but... Okay. It's bigger than it's ever been. I'm going to hope for nests. Yeah. But <laughs> I guess we'll see, you know, yeah. in the future where they go. But. Interesting. Okay. And you do have trackers, but I guess not on all pelicans. <laughs> no. I, I wish we have about five out right now that are okay, working. So okay. Okay. Very small. Because like, if you know some are in Mexico, but yeah, that's five individuals. Yeah. Do they have names? They do, actually. <laughs> I know there there was a big push for a long time for people not to name their research mm-hmm. organisms or whatever, but we name all of them. Uh, <laughs> so I think we have, I can't remember all of them that are still on online right now, but we have, let's see, Francis Fisher. <laughs> we have Cletus. We have Dietrich. We have Gilbert. Wow. And is that five? I don't remember. We have some oh, that's... Henrietta. Oh, so. All quality names. Yeah. I was thinking, you know, some people are like, yeah, there's Sam, there's Bob, there's Muffin. Nope, we go hard. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Keeps things excellent. fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm thinking about how people are thinking about addressing the issue because obviously one solution is to put water in Great Salt Lake. Yep. It's shrinking. That's where the land bridge comes in. I'm sure the coyotes are not the only factor, but probably the major factor in why they're either not going to Gunnison Island or their population is declining when they do go there. Water's the first, I guess, coyote deterrent and also probably allows them to have a greater food source because when water goes down, the lake becomes even more saline. And fun fact that I know, the ocean is 3% salt, and Great Salt Lake, when I first heard this fact, it was 13 to 15% salt. But as it's shrinking, it's around 19. Yeah. And it differs on one arm versus the other. Yeah. Actually, it was funny. I was talking to Bonnie Baxter, or I saw one of her presentations or something, and the 19% number comes from the south arm of the lake, which is the less salty part of the lake. Oh. Which is crazy. It's yes. thinking about, that's 19% salt. The North Armour Lake, where actually Gunnison Island is, in the summer, you know, the water gets hotter, it can hold more salt. It gets up to 34% salt. Holy shit. It's insane. I had no idea. That's more than 10 times the ocean. (laughs) It's just bonkers. Wow. And that's why it's so pink. Yeah, all the all the salt, there's very specific organisms that can live in the water mm-hmm. there, and otherwise just everything dies, and mm-hmm. organisms that can live there, are they're pink. So yeah, that's crazy. nuts. I have a picture of Great Salt Lake on my water bottle that nobody can see except for Amy, <laughs> <laughs> unless you have the same sticker or a picture, a map in front of you. But Great Salt Lake, to me, has always looked like a weird hand, oh, um, like a ninja yeah. turtle hand, you know, like that kind yeah. of, yeah. If you're looking at your right hand and then your thumb is the north arm and then you kind of turn it sideways. This is really bad. I don't know where I'm going (laughs) with this. But there's a causeway that cuts through the middle of the lake. A causeway is like a lifted land bridge and then they have a railroad going across it. And that's what cuts off this north arm from the south arm. And that's why the water is so different. It's not just they're existing so differently without something dividing them. But 34%, that's yeah. nuts. Absolutely I would insane. not drink a cocktail that was... <laughs> yeah, 30, I don't even know if I would do 19%. Yeah, yeah, it's very good. And point. I like dirty martinis, so... <laughs> yeah, it's a very bizarre landscape out there, too. So mm-hmm. everything's crusted in salt. And yeah. yeah, you can see why if it's 34% salt. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really cool. If you've never been to Great Salt Lake, I hope you go if you're not from Utah... It's something to visit when you're here. At least look out the airplane window and see it. It's a very alien landscape. I've made the argument before on this podcast and so many times outside in the real world that Great Salt Lake is a queer entity. Not only does it have the pink and the blue and then the white stripe in the middle (laughs) like the trans flag, but, you know, when you think of a lake town, you think of trees and rope swings. And this is so not that. It's very shallow. It's very desolate around it. There's, It's buggy certain yeah. times a year. But the amount of birds that go there, I mean, it's a birding hotspot because 
it's a bird hotspot, and hopefully it stays that way despite the fact that it's shrinking. So besides, coming back <laughs> from my tangent, besides putting water in the lake, mm-hmm. what other solutions are people thinking of, if they're thinking? For saving the pelicans, specifically? Yeah. So, yeah, it's, I mean, there's there's all kinds of things people have talked about, and some a lot more feasible than others. You know, some people have said, oh, we need to dredge around Gunnison Island. Mm. Some people, predator control is another one, whether that's just removing coyotes or, you know, actually trapping them and killing them. But fencing off the island is one that is actually potentially feasible, as well as predator control. But kind of like you were saying before, it if we want to think about things in the long term, really, like, we have to put water back in the lake. Whether we want to save the pelicans or whether we want to address other population declines or st- migratory stopover mm-hmm. places for all these birds or um, the catastrophe of having a dried lake exactly there's toxic dust blowing off the lake that has arsenic and cadmium and whatever other heavy metals exactly yeah. mercury and that's all blowing onto the wasatch front which includes salt lake city mm-hmm. so yeah i mean it's there's there's a lot of reasons to put water back in the lake besides the pelicans but i'd also like to see it because of the pelicans because <laughs> it's sad to see them gone yeah yeah i bet it was a really sad day to go and see that small population yeah it was it definitely shook me i've only been out to gunnison twice and the first time i was out there it was still it was a poor breeding year i think there were maybe a couple hundred chicks but seeing maximum of 40 chicks and to be honest a lot of dead birds too out there was very disheartening and kind of haunts me so no (laughs) not 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 a fun way to spend a day i guess yeah yeah island Sure, it was heartbreaking. I don't know. I feel like if I moved through that experience, I'd go home and be like, oh, "Yeah, I just need to journal yeah, <laughs> and yeah. cry. Yeah, like more in this situation, more yeah. in this loss." Well, we're talking about birds at Great Salt Lake. What do you know about the other populations at Great Salt Lake, or just other birds, or whatever yeah. you want to speak to regarding? birds there well like you're saying great salt lake is a birding hot spot and if you at all are interested in birding go to great salt lake go to bear migratory <laughs> bird refuge or farmington bay or any of the places around the lake where there's some sort of wetland there are just infinite birds there and so many different species i mentioned before that great salt lake is a really important stopover site for a bunch of different migratory birds one being the eared grebe the estimates vary and i don't know exactly where all of these estimates are from but upwards of potentially 90 to 95 percent of eared grebes in north america migrate to great salt lake wow or through great salt lake i guess they will they they have this really interesting life history where they'll the land at great salt lake they'll lose all of their flight flight feathers for Hmm. two weeks and they literally just sit there and eat brine shrimp (laughs) and get super fat and grow all their feathers again they why they do it there i don't know but then they go on and they fly down south for the winter and unfortunately there are other saline lakes across the u.s that are shrinking and Mm -hmm. so as those saline lakes become less more and more of these eared grebes are coming to great salt lake which is also shrinking so yeah super super important for eared grebes we also know that ducks are really reliant on great salt lake wetlands for breeding in the area and as the wetlands dry up the duck populations get hit harder by predators or there's less nesting space mm-hmm. less food you know it's, it's pretty dire for all of these species that are using the lake yeah. the smaller it gets and the saltier it gets yeah gosh i have five comments off of what you said <laughs> the most one i just had was i in a way i'm glad that the ducks are part of it because ducks are waterfowl meaning Mm -hmm. they're an animal that folks hunt Mm -hmm. and because of that we have ducks unlimited here in utah and they're an organization that's also pushing for conservation which is really great but it's tricky because different birds have different requirements for the depth of the water for different times of years so imagine we have in Utah, 400, over 400 species of birds, but that also includes songbirds and stuff. So I don't know how many of those are water birds, shore birds, yeah, or waterfowl, but that's still a lot. Even if it was a fourth of that, 100 different species managing for the different depths at the different times of years, that's really complicated. Yeah. And now we have a Great Salt Lake commissioner who's kind of being the liaison between all these groups to help figure out some of these issues. So we have the duck hunters, and they're like, yeah conservation so that's one thing i was thinking of and i do know that seven to ten million birds are estimated individual birds are estimated to move through or visit or live in Mm -hmm. utah so and the big part of that is because of great salt lake and the birds that are visiting great salt lake like some of them come from the very very south of 
the globe mm-hmm. and then all the way up north. So we are this vital global gemstone, part of this ecosystem that serves the birds of the western hemisphere. Right. It's yeah, and it's shrinking. It's, it's, <laughs> it's really scary. Once you start to piece together all of the threads that go through Great Salt Lake and into mm-hmm. Great Salt Lake, we lose this body of water. Not only are we having human impacts, but we're having flyway intercontinental impacts, especially mm-hmm. to birds. And, you know, it's just, it's it's scary. Talking about birds in the southern hemisphere, there's phalaropes, uh, like mm. Wilson's phalaropes and a couple other species that... They spend a bunch of the year down in the Laguna Marchiquita in Argentina, <laughs> and then they spend the rest of the year up here, in, or at least like flying through Great Salt Lake. And so, yeah, it's just yeah. global Yeah, so we'd thing. be affecting that what, mar- Laguna Marchiquita? Laguna Marchiquita? Marchiquita, like mar- Chiquita, Chiquita bananas, I guess. Okay, cool. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, so thinking about that is wild, and there's Audubon, National Audubon office in Utah, the Saline Lakes project program saline lakes program and they're looking at all the saline lakes and how they're all connected and i can't speak to them much more than that other than the people who work in the organization marcel shoop max malbequist they're excellent human beings i love them they're really cool to hear speak and just interact with i feel very lucky to have them in my (laughs) sphere but the last thing that I was thinking of is you're like, yeah, if you're a birder, you got to go to Great Salt Lake. Check yeah. it out. Bear River Refuge. I'm pretty sure that's the first place you and I met. Yeah. Actually, I think you're right. We went on a drive with our friend Ronan, yeah. Courtney, and someone else. I don't there was remember four people was. in the car. Wait, was Ronan, Courtney? Oh, me. you and me. That's yeah. four people. There, I guess there was only four. Yeah. Yeah. Because so, we each got a window. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that was so much fun. And yeah. it was super cold. I don't know. It was like, we didn't March leave the car. Well, yeah. we left the car once. Yeah. <laughs> and didn't last very long. No. But we could just, like, you know, we drove around the Bear River Refuge and got a little bird list. And it was really fun. Yeah. yeah. It's a, it's a super cool place. And even though we were there in the winter, whenever it was, we still saw a ton of birds. Mm-hmm. And in the spring and fall, it's just bonkers. In the summer, it's bonkers. <laughs> if you want to go see pelicans, that's a great place to do it. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really cool place. I honestly like going on in the off season, like the winter, because there are less birds for me to identify. And I'm just, I'm an incredibly amateur birder. I just like to hang out with birders. They're very passionate and that gets me excited. And I, they're great people. I like people who care. That's why I have a podcast yeah. called the Do Care Podcast. But in the winter, there's just less birds. So I can kind of memorize them a little more yeah. and be like, oh, yes, that's... Yeah, it's, it's a lot more chill, too. You can just drive around and be like, cool, I saw the birds. You're not just mm-hmm. overwhelmed by, like, I saw 60 pintails or whatever. And you're just <laughs> like, but, but I think there's more. And you're like, I can't estimate that many birds. You can yeah. see a reasonable number of birds, and it's it's okay. <laughs> it's a good uh, starting point. Yeah. At least that's my hot take and my suggestion for people who want to get into birding. Yeah. When I first asked you if you'd be on the podcast, mm-hmm. when I officially asked you, via email you're like yes what do you want to talk about do you want to talk about my research do you want to talk about the more poetic symbolic side of great salt lake and my answer was yes (laughs) all of that sounds really great and you brought up the idea of great salt lake as a provider as a mother figure Mm -hmm. go into that if you would yeah so i generally come at things with the scientific mind and facts and numbers and stuff but (laughs) i have been really impressed by have you had nan seymour on yet nan seymour has not been on yet but is scheduled for december 27th or 28th oh wow yeah so nan seymour i guess we can give you a little preview (laughs) she is a storyteller she is i I can't remember what her actual title that she shares is i don't know but she's basically this empath this natural empath this storyteller and she creates creative media and she's based here in utah and she did this must have been like two years ago now she did a vigil for great salt lake i think it was 2020 Oh, was it, it was that the early? first year? So she's been doing it for a long time then. Yeah, I think, but I could be wrong. Oh. I guess we'll find out yeah. later. <laughs> but essentially, what she did was she, well, I'm sure she'll talk about this, but she basically camped out on the shore of Great Salt Lake during the legislative session and early whatever the year whatever, was. Whatever, yeah, basically trying to bring attention to the shrinking Great Salt Lake. And she's, I'm just going to stay out here until the entire legislative session is over. And it was six weeks or something insane. Yeah, and I she, think it's maybe four weeks. 
It's yeah. too too long it's to long. camp out. No, in the no, actually, winter. it is six weeks because it spans more than a month. Yeah, yeah. And so she spent the whole time out there, and she had other people come out there and just bring attention to this huge ecological impending disaster. And she held it was actually a, a single day where she held this this public vigil where she brought a bunch of poets in and storytellers and sat on Antelope Island and did this amazing show. And everybody read poems. I was on the verge of tears the whole time. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, this is so beautiful. And she's reading a eulogy to the lake. And trying to think from her mindset and kind of knock myself out of the only thinking facts and figures. I came to realize she kind of sees the lake as a mother figure. And as I'm thinking about that, it's a provider for all of these birds. It's a provider for all the mammals that rely on the birds. It's a provider for... The brine shrimp. The brine shrimp, exactly. It's such a productive ecosystem, even though it's, it's a very simple ecosystem. But it's very productive and it's very unique in many ways. And it's providing for this region, even though we might not see it right away yeah and it would be such a shame to lose it's like losing your mother in a way yeah and thinking about how she was thinking about it and it's it's really helped me contextualize what we're losing beyond the the numbers and this many billion brine shrimp or whatever we're losing and it's like well sure but we're also losing a mother yeah these wildlife yeah we're not just losing the brine shrimp and the magnesium and the sodium that's being extracted exactly or the birds that visit it or the snow the greatest snow on earth that comes because of the lake effect lake effect yeah (laughs) thank you the lake effect from the lake all these things but having great salt lake itself gone I think what she did, the vigil, is important not only because we need to see how art and culture plays into it, providing to people who are of scientific Mm -hmm. thinking and of a scientific mind, giving them the other side of it, but also actually giving us space to grieve. Because this is sad and this is scary. And we have a lot of people, I think about the high school students I used to teach, that have climate change grief and anxiety eco grief if you will and eco anxiety and me thinking about the quote-unquote angsty teenager that I was I wasn't that angsty but I did like my chemical romance and hot topic heck yeah (laughs) if I actually was like well the environment's not okay that was mainstream culture it's definitely out there but I wasn't really being exposed to it I just got into like recycling early on and I think that's eventually what made me into an environmentalist but I didn't see the big picture and the big Mm -hmm. picture is everywhere yeah and you know we didn't really have social media. we have facebook and myspace yeah. and no one oh, was talking MySpace. about climate change yeah. and now climate change is on tiktok yeah. all of it yeah it's, it's just it's everywhere and so people have this anxiety so having a vigil really gives us space to grief and to remember oh yeah yeah we are grieving yeah and we are scared and some of us we're fighting whether we're doing that through activism through policy advocacy or through conducting research to show to other people hey yeah no here are the numbers this is what's really happening and this is why these things are important yeah putting those more logistical puzzle pieces together yeah and it all fits together too in in different ways and important ways Mm -hmm. and so everything everybody's doing to try to solve these problems is important we uh, obviously as a single person can't do everything so it's yeah that's something i try to remind myself too and nan has her part where she's you know, being a storyteller bonnie baxter is doing the part where she's measuring i don't know all the things that she's, all the things she's, she's doing so much <laughs> yeah and jamie butler is sharing stories and mm-hmm. doing presentations and that science yeah. communication the salty thing. seminar series exactly. that was so much fun yeah. you know things like that we all have our part and we can't do everything as a single person yeah but we can be part of a whole that is greater than exactly some exactly (laughs) and and i feel like you're definitely part of it and (laughs) i try to be (laughs) part of it with what little spare time i have well i have spare time as a grad student but a lot of it i just take as personal time i mean we need that yeah or we couldn't contribute exactly so and that goes for everybody and it is scary and maybe what little folks can do whether that's just talking about it Mm -hmm. or listening to it on the radio is good i do like the art side of it one of my advisors dr paul rogers he does aspen ecology he's the main scientist at pando the largest living organism on the planet as far as we know who i do hope to get on at some point i've been nervous about asking him i don't know why he's my advisor we spoke like pirates on speak like a pirate day so (laughs) i shouldn't be that nervous but i am he's always trying to think of ways to incorporate art with the ecological science of things and i've seen him do it and it's really impressive and it's really cool and the 
other situation that I can think of where it has been successful to bridge those two is with Great Salt Lake in so many different facets. Oh. There's a lot of people on board. There's a lot of people pushing for saving the Great Salt Lake. Yeah, just got to fight the fight the good fight, I guess. And there's always going to be opposing forces. But, mm-hmm. it's uh, yeah, there's a lot of good people doing a lot of really cool things. Yeah. So. And, and I'm pretty dang hopeful just knowing that farmers, skiers, recreationists, conservationists, environmentalists more generally, everybody really wants to save this lake. People who just live in northern Utah (laughs) want to save this lake. It's just a matter of how and a matter of legislation moving forward. Yeah. Which we'll see how it goes. The legislative session is going to start January 14th. Yeah. It's coming up. (laughs) Yeah. It'll be interesting for sure. Yeah. But hopefully, (laughs) fingers crossed. Well, wrapping up the discussion and... Moving back to your research, do you have any hypothesis on where your research is landing or what's going to happen? As far as the Great Salt Lake stuff? Or? The Great Salt Lake stuff, yeah. Yeah, I know I, I work with the state a lot and we've had these big conversations about what's happening at the lake, what's happening with the pelicans, uh, with birds in general. And it's actually been really heartening. We don't necessarily have a plan for Gunnison, mm-hmm. but so I've been doing field work with pelicans for the past couple of years. And this was my last field season this summer, so I'm done. I've kind of handed the project back. And the state has been able to allocate some federal funds that they received as part of the COVID emergency to actually putting out a crew of people to put more GPS tags oh, on pelicans. that's really cool. Yeah, and like study them more, try to figure out what's going on with them, where they're going. Obviously, it'll probably be a few years out before we really understand what's happening, at least as far as where they're going. But there's definitely commitment there to protect this population, especially with the shock of essentially a mm-hmm. failed breeding season but yeah there's there's hope there's definitely hope well that's cool it's so. cool to hear about the funding yeah i was gonna say i'd love to help you with your next field yeah, work season well. but <laughs> you're almost done you're moving away and yeah i might be too so so yeah yeah it's all kind of you know <laughs> life is dynamic i life guess is dynamic well if we ever end up near each other and you have an opportunity to band birds or capture pelicans you let me know oh, i definitely will because I, <laughs> yeah. i'd love to be a part of that process yeah it's so much fun and just getting to the, getting out there and seeing the weird yeah. birds is so much fun <laughs> yeah and just whenever i do field work for my project or other people's project i'm always like huh this is we're just doing this oh and this weird thing because that's it wouldn't work without the, you know yeah it's fun to see <laughs> how those things are done is there anything else you want to share before we wrap up that's a good question. I mean, I feel like we, we talked about so many different things in Utah. I hate ending on, well, I guess we're not necessarily ending on down note, but I just want to, you know, kind of reiterate that there is good stuff being done, especially really bad news and doom scrolling and stuff all the time. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of good stuff happening in the world, too, especially thinking about Great Salt Lake. There's so much push to fix things, even though like, there's development, there's the mega drought, whatever. We'll figure it out. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I I don't want people walking away from this episode thinking, oh, well, fuck, nothing matters. Lots of things matter, whether it is your sexual health and sexual positivity, brine shrimp, or the lake and the destiny of the Salt Lake Valley. Something that I thought about sharing that I didn't end up sharing is this article called Your Kids Are Not Doomed, an opinion article published June 5th. 2022 by Ezra Klein in the New York Times. It's talking about, well, Ezra Klein, the Ezra Klein Show, he's kind of a famous journalist, and he's the author of a book called Why We're Polarized. And then in this article, he goes on to say, children are not doomed because they're going to take this on. It's there, we've put it out there, and we're taking the right steps. We're heading in the right direction. And here are all these different examples of good things that are happening, whether it's the fact that X amount of people, percent of people don't die of these diseases anymore. X amount of people have access to clean drinking water. Our our lives are a little longer. People now think therapy is normal. Yeah, right. (laughs) So all these different things, things are going in a good direction. And I'm pretty optimistic about Great Salt Lake. I think I had maybe a month being, oh, I got to move because Great Mm -hmm. Salt Lake's going to be a dust bowl. Yeah. And I don't feel that way. And that's my personal feeling that's my own heart (laughs) but i think we have a lot of reason to be hopeful and getting involved and keeping ourselves happy and the last thing that i'll share that i want to share is that four parts series on why save great salt lake 
what would happen if we saved Great Salt Lake? And that's, again, from the Great Salt Lake Collaborative. I don't know if the last piece came out yet, but I just wanted to highlight it. I read a bunch of it. I spent way too much time doing that <laughs> last Monday, <laughs> so not having too much productive time. Very good, and folks should check that out. And Amy, is there is there a platform that you'd want to share for people to follow you or your yeah, research? Sure. I'm on social media. My... <laughs> I, I'm on, on a few different places, but my handle is usually at full underscore O underscore Fulmars. So from Fulmars are a C word. <laughs> um, but yeah, or you can just search my name, Amy Van Tatenho, because it's pretty unique. Cool. Uh, you can yeah. find me. <laughs> <laughs> Great. If if you're comfortable with it, I'll have it linked in the show notes. Yeah. So people can follow the stuff that you do. And I think I'll also link just the Ecology Center in the yeah. show notes because there are so many cool people doing so many cool yeah, things. Yeah, yeah. Great idea. With that, I want to thank AJ Vansbin for doing the intro and outro music. As my dad always says, use your head and be clever. <laughs> Bye, everyone. Bye. <laughs>